Hi, this is Joe Lindsley. Welcome to our Land of the Free podcast with Ukrainska Pravda here in the studios in Kyiv. And I'm honored to introduce my friend, a fellow son of Ohio, Binya Stewart. Uh, Binya is a, is a musician from Athens, Ohio. Uh, you were coming to Ukraine before the full-scale invasion, and now you're living here in Kyiv in the time of Russia's full-scale war. You're teaching English, and you're also using your musical talents uh, to boost spirits in this difficult time uh, and to help uh, even Ukrainians rediscover the roots of their music and to, to show the you know the, this common culture of uh, the songs of protest and of freedom. Uh, Binya, you've played for the troops uh, near Bakhmut, uh, in addition to concerts in Kiev and Lviv. So great to have you here, my friend. And thank you, Joe. Yeah, I'm in your city actually now. So yeah, it's <laughs> true. It's I feel very at home in Kiev. I love living here. This is the land of the free. Stories of life and liberty in a time of war. What what was your uh, and we're gonna have some songs from you today as well, which would be great. And maybe, maybe we start with that. What your your song about? Um, uh, you've written songs about your experience uh, here in the war, and not just your experience, but the experience of Ukrainians. Uh, why don't we start with that song you wrote back in Ohio when you when you went home for a while, mm-hmm. thinking about your friends here in Ukraine? Okay, yeah, we could start. Uh, this song is called "Not Alone," and it's a song I was writing last winter. And last winter was a lot different in Kiev than this winter because there was almost no power. It was rationing of the electricity because Russia had hit so many of the power stations. Uh, a lot of people didn't have heat a lot of the time, so it was a dark winter. I mean, the first time I came to Kyiv last two Octobers ago, I mean, it was like completely black when Brett and I drove into the city. And Brett is also a fellow Ohioan and musician. Yeah, so Brett is Brother Hill, Brett Mm -hmm. Hill, um, and he and I have been on a lot of adventures together, playing for troops, um, fundraising. We fundraised $100,000 in the first year of the war for Ukraine, mostly for tactical medicine. Also, some went to refugees and uh, Ukrainian orphans who got rehomed. Um, and that was part of a project called From Ohio with Love. So that was what we... It's on my laptop here. I have the sticker. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so that's what we could do, you know, in that first year with our resources. We had already been coming to Ukraine. We had come twice for a musical project called Slava Lacha, which was um, something in collaboration with Ukrainians and Belarusians and Americans, being uh, Brett and myself. This is a project before the full-scale war, because back then, this is 2020? 2020, yeah, 2020, yeah, January 2020 is when it kicked off, and we came to, we actually went to Belarus for a week, so I've been to Minsk, <laughs> and uh, this is before the big revolution in August 2020, when Lukashenko staged another election, and a huge portion of the Minsk Cup population rose up and did did what they could, but ultimately, unfortunately, did not succeed in a Maidan-esque revolution, much to uh, the chagrin of many. Uh, but So I haven't been back to Belarus since then, and a lot of my friends in Belarus have been forced to leave the country and are living in exile. Many of them live, were in prison for multiple years um, after that uh, episode with authoritarianism. So this is a big part of the story of why I'm in Ukraine. And it's interesting because now being in Ukraine and having connections to Belarus can be complicated. (laughs) Um, People, there's not always like 
um, space in the conversation for the nuance that it requires. So it's, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thing. It reminds me of being back in the U.S. <laughs> well, I, I remember, you know, when, when we first met in Lviv, uh, in 2020 or 2021, yeah. you know, Ukraine was a center of freedom mm -hmm. and peace mm -hmm. in the world. Yeah. And I remember, you know, I met many Hong Kong activists who mm -hmm. were here, uh, and learning from Ukrainians what happened with Maidan right. uh, in 2014 and the same with the Belarusians. Yeah. And, and so it was so hard to, it, this was the place where you came to, to embrace freedom and to tell the story and to help people around the world. Mm -hmm. And then it became the center of the very fight yeah. uh, for freedom. And, uh, and that's why that your Slava Lacha project, uh, what, you, you, what would you call it? It was um, you're, you're sort of it's like a folk alliance, a folk alliance for for freedom and and dignity and yeah, yeah. I mean the concept was I mean it was originally a, a sort of mixed activist and musical project. Like I mean our first real project together was making a video that was for the song which side are you on and it was all that old the, american protest song right? yes uh written by florence reese um she was the daughter of a coal miner whose father was part of this uprising um and there there were some really bloody fights around the coal mines when these guys were trying to take some amount of dignity for themselves um and not just be you know worked to death in the mines, which was happening quite frequently. And so she wrote the song, Which Side Are You On?, which has become really like the main anthem of revolt and people's struggle in America and around the world. It's very popular. It's just such a catchy, simple idea. And some would say it's maybe too simple. I actually had a very interesting uh, story or experience uh, with a soldier who has heard the song many times and he's kind of going through a bit of a mental struggle i mean he's been on the front line for most of the war ukrainian soldier, i'm a ukrainian right? soldier yeah um and i was there this christmas we did like a five-day tour of the front lines playing playing shows for different units um <clears throat> and he was really struggling actually he actually asked me to not play this song um and usually it's like a favorite of all the soldiers usually it's like it's something they can really attach to. And because we added some Ukrainian lyrics, like a translation inside of the, which side are you on? So it's, it like involves the Ukrainians um, into this American song. So it's usually very popular. And this guy, he he asked me to stop playing. He's like, this is, it's, it, it's too, I can't remember what exactly he said in his broken English, unfortunately. He was saying something like, it doesn't, this is too simple. It doesn't, it doesn't like communicate the whole message. This is too mm -hmm. simple. It's not just one and the other side, really. Like, and I think knowing what I know about, you know, Belarus and the people there who are doing what they can, but can't always do enough or whatever. I mean, it is, it's a complex situation, right? It's unfortunately, um, but we live in Ukraine and we're here to like stand for the Ukrainians. And right now this is the moment to really stand up for this particular struggle. And so I keep coming down on the side of, yeah, it's complicated, but in some I, ways, I have chose to be here now. Yeah. So this is like my- You've chosen fight. your side. Yeah. And that, I think, you know, that song, uh, I play uh, at the end of every one of our videos from my daily broadcast mm -hmm. on Chicago radio. Mm -hmm. We post it on YouTube. I don't know if you know it, but I, I steal your song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You no, guys I've singing seen, it at yeah. the end. 
because I want people in America really to think about that. At the end, you know, what would you have said in the 1930s? You know, after, you, if you were living in Germany or Europe yeah. in the 1930s, which side were you on? It does matter. And yeah. it's very clear in that sense. And we had a moment of great clarity with that uh, in the city of Nikopol. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, you, you guys were playing a show down there for, mm-hmm. for the locals. Yeah. Uh, the Nikopol is on the Dnipro River, on the reservoir, across from the largest nuclear power plant in Europe. Mm-hmm. And we were there maybe three weeks before the Russians began to shell it every single night yeah. and day. Yeah. Uh, and, and we knew that that could start any time. It was a bit scary to be mm-hmm. there. We could see the Russian occupiers across the water. Yeah. And we had that strange but amazing little festival there mm-hmm. uh, with some soldiers and civilians and children. And, and you guys were singing. And when you sang that song, Which Side Are You On? We could see it right there. We were on this side of the water. And there, yeah, there they were, the right. other side. Right. Uh, it was incredibly powerful. Maybe can you play a few, a few, a bit of that song so people know what it is? And- yeah, sure. And this is usually a song like Brett has a deep connection to the song, so um, I don't typically play it solo. But which side are you on? Nachiti storoni. Which side are you on? Nachiti storoni. Come on, you good fine people, good news to you I'll tell Of how the good old union is coming here to dwell Which side are you on? Which side are you on? And on it goes. Um, it's powerful, man. Yeah, it's... I mean, it really has been used by like every activist group for anything <laughs> in America. Like, it's just so um, endlessly useful, right? But I think the interesting thing is it it's not something you necessarily sing to the person who's already picked sides. And I think that's kind of what the soldier was getting I at. See. It's like, yeah. this is the song you go to the city and like, hey, down in the coal mines, they're fighting for their lives. Let's go call our senators like which side are you on right it's like to the people who haven't picked sides exactly the people you need to rally Mm -hmm. and you can see why i mean here after almost two years people can they're tired there's a lot of trauma and wounds uh and you you know you have to heal in time to keep fighting you can't just put it all you know you you can't say i'm just going to disappear from this for a while yeah Uh, most people can't do that uh and music in the moment can help us heal uh, and that's why I think that, that Souls are probably, you know, he wanted some other song that would help him in this process. And I think about when you, uh, you've been now many times to the front lines and uh, to play music, including last Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, your first time at the front, as far as I remember, you went to uh, Bakhmut before it fell. Yeah. And I remember you told me afterward, you said, this is the realest thing I've ever done. Uh, yeah. You know, like a, a son from, of Ohio, from very peaceful land. Uh, from Athens, Ohio, from from the Appalachians, and uh, and all of a sudden finding yourself in the middle of a war, in a way you never imagined. Yeah, I mean, really, Athens, Ohio, and I mean, so many places in America, but Athens, Ohio, is a special spot because it's got a lot of the beauty of Appalachia, but it has this unique. It has the university there, so it has this little center of learning. There's a lot of globalism there. It's close enough to like Columbus, you know, much larger city. So there's some real affluential people coming down and 
converting properties, which is not always obviously helpful. There's a gentrification thing happening there. But as opposed to a lot of Appalachia, which is really tends to be a somewhat economically and culturally depressed thing on the whole. I mean, of course, there's like amazing things happening in this mountain chain. But uh, Athens is the special spot. And it's really like the Shire from Lord of the Rings. I mean, that's what it feels like. It, it has this peaceful little river. Everything is like rolling and gentle and lush and green. And it's just like, it was an amazing place to grow up. I feel like a hobbit that grew <laughs> up there. And then like, you know, I mean, Ukrainians love to use the Lord of the Rings mythos <laughs> for this war as well. So it all kind of fits in. Which, right? by the way, because since you mentioned that, you know, when I speak with Americans who are skeptics of Ukraine, mm -hmm. you know, there are, and we have to understand them because it's, you know, if we win over the Americans, we can get the weapons mm -hmm. that Ukraine needs for victory. Uh, one of the complaints I hear is um, from a very powerful Republican donor. Uh, this person told me, I don't like it when I hear people talk about the orcs. It makes mm -hmm. everything sound like a video game. Mm -hmm. um, why do you make these Tolkien references? What's your response to that here? Well, you know, I don't think okay. he's... I mean, I do have reservations to against dehumanizing like any human. I think mm -hmm. it's like... I think it's better to think about Russians as like people who are making horrible decisions than like orcs because i think orcs it removes them of their tr power to maybe make a different decision and yes. i think that's probably not the way we should think about it mm. but at the same time i'm not going to like sit ukrainians down and like tell them that, that they should do anything different in this context because it's like they're the ones whose kids and parents and grandparents and siblings have been killed by rockets by people who would appear to be orcs, you know what I mean? It's like, that's this is the very delicate balance I think Americans and foreigners in general have to walk here. We obviously support Ukraine. We're risking our own lives to live here on some level. We're, you know, we're doing what we can to support as volunteers or even just like telling our friends about it and like keeping the topic on people's tongues back in the US if we can. Um, but there is a complexity. I mean, and I don't, I don't think it's healthy. I don't personally go in for the orc side of it, even though it's like very attr attractive on some level, right? Speaking of sort of very intense moments, mm -hmm. you, you said you know there at the front outside of Bakhmut, it was the realest thing you've ever done mm -hmm. in a way, uh, and almost like you're in some kind of superhero movie, right? But what what for you has been? It, maybe there's no answer to this, but the most the most frightening moment where you're like, holy shit, I'm in a war. Uh, mm -hmm. What does anything come to mind? Is what was the you know maybe it's here in Kiev during one of the attacks or something more? Yeah, it, it's an interesting thing because I mean people ask me quite frequently like, isn't it scary? <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean it should be. I don't know. I think because I haven't like seen a building get like hit in front of my eyes and been like showered in glass and shrapnel or because I don't know anyone personally who like was injured. I mean, I've seen a ton of soldiers in hospitals who are injured, but it's like I haven't experienced the trauma myself of this type of violence. It's like, I think once that, should that happen, I'm obviously going to have a like totally different perspective on it, I think. Um, but because that hasn't happened, you know, it doesn't freak me out 
that much. I mean, this. I mean, I came here already. I came to Kiev for the first time. You know, nine months after the full-scale invasion started, and ever, all the Ukrainians were already so hardened to it. They were like, oh, "We don't go to shelter." You know, it's like this kind of vibe. I mean, obviously, if you've if you have kids, most people with children go to shelter, but a lot of single Ukrainians are kind of like, you know, if it's my time, it's my time. Like, I don't. There's a kind of a devil may care vibe, and I somewhat, and you know, that that got infect that infected me a little bit. Um, I mean, there was a time. The first time I heard an explosion in Ukraine was in Dnipro on the way to the Nikopol show. And I remember that Brett and I were sleeping in an apartment um, with a couple, like our Ukrainian companions on the way. And we hadn't really, we weren't that freaked out, but the Ukrainians were because they like know this is real, you know? And we were kind of like, nah, it's fine. Like, whatever. We got the, you know, sense of protection or whatever coming from this American suburbs or whatever. But, um, I remember at like 5 a.m. an air alarm went off in Nipro and we both kind of like woke up and we were like sharing a futon and then I think maybe a few minutes later there was like an actual explosion not super close but it was just the first moment where it was like oh god <laughs> and I remember we like looked at each other in the eye and we were just like we didn't say anything but we were both thinking like well we did this. <laughs> like we made all the decisions that brought us here. So, and then a few hours later, it's fine. You we know, were traveling but... together to Nikopol, traveling through those beautiful fields mm -hmm. of, of southern Ukraine. Yeah, and on the ridge, you could see all of a sudden the nuclear power plant. Yeah, the Russians were occupying. Yeah, and for the first time, to be able to see a Russian occupied yeah space. Was, yeah. yeah, and we were all kind of we, everyone kind of got quiet a little bit on the bus there, like you know, stealing mm -hmm. ourselves mm -hmm. to, to to this. Um, it was such a beautiful afternoon, and we you had people folk dancing, yeah, uh, to the tune of your music, mm -hmm. uh, it, like dancing in the face of evil. That was one of my favorite and most inspiring moments mm -hmm. uh, from this. And you think about, you know, your what? What would you say? All right, for example, so when you you've left Ukraine a few times, you went back to Ohio. Yeah. You played charity concerts and raised money, yeah. uh, to buy medical kits and other mm -hmm. things, like mm -hmm. drones and other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, actually, you did. You bought some drones because you sent us some money, uh, and we bought drones. Yeah, we've definitely contributed. Right. I mean, by far, almost everything, almost all the dollars we raised were for tactical medicine, mostly just because it's something that Americans feel comfortable sure. to fundraise for, so we could get more money that way. You know, but but how, and how do you feel when like the times you've gone back? So you're back, say in Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, back in your shire. Uh, and I know you wrote a song about this and we can mm -hmm. listen to that. Yeah. How, but how do you feel when you leave, when you cross the border and leave Ukraine? Is it like, is it like you've left a movie or something or does it feel, what does it feel like to you when you're far away from Ukraine? I constantly had this sort of antsy feeling and that's why I decided to move here because it just didn't feel, even though on some level I could probably fundraise more effectively in the U.S. if that's what I felt called to do. You know, you could just, dollars are just worth more and people have more dollars to give. And like, I don't know how it is now. It's definitely much more difficult than the beginning of the war, you know. But being in Ohio, being in Athens, you know, working, you know, at the time 
for most of my adult life, I've been a builder, actually. So I was, you know, doing carpentry um, in between all of these strange, you know, tours abroad. And there was a long time in, in my 20s where that was really satisfying and I was learning and like growing and learning how to make this tangible thing to like make a community better, give some value to other people. Um, and I think at some point, and I was, you know, growing food. I really wanted to have a farm. This is like all these like wholesome Shire type things. Like this is what I wanted. This is why I stayed there, right? A lot of people leave Athens, but I stayed there. Um, and I think the more that I was spending time in Ukraine, in a war zone, in a place where people are united by this you know, capital I idea, capital C concept, like freedom, like sovereignty, right? It's like, I mean, there are those struggles in the U.S., obviously, like there are those struggles for, you know, African-American rights, for trans rights, for all, so many things that like people want to fight for and have like fought for over the decades. And those are all really important. I think that scene an entire civilization, like an entire society of Ukraine working together to do something is just been so inspiring. Like, see, it's just like everyone, right? I mean, and I think that was a bit addictive in the beginning for me was just seeing like, there's not, you know, people aren't really arguing. It's just like, there's this massive task and everyone is just piling on to like, play this huge game of deathly game of tug of war, you know, and it's like obvious which side you're on and you're just like, all right, this is the right thing to do. My guitar playing somehow has like something to offer this. That's cool. I want to do that. Right. Um, and so being back in the U S it was kind of like once that itch had been once, once that had been itched, it was kind of like, oh, I don't know anymore if this is like what makes sense for me <laughs> like think maybe i want to go back to ukraine i was really super into the folk music the more i've learned with the ukrainian folk music which is a whole other topic we could dive into i mean it's it's such a deep well i mean american folk music it's kind of like you know you could think of it as like a 30 foot deep well or 10 meter deep well and like there's a lot of water there you know but the ukrainian folk tradition is like a thousand feet deep 300 meters feet deep it's like they've been drinking from this water since like the the most ancient time um you know since like people were speaking proto-indo-european like we're talking thousands and thousands of years ago and like the songs are probably like very related to some of those original songs you know it's just been this unbroken despite so many attempts of so many different empires and kingdoms, there's this un unbroken chain of culture. And once I experienced that, you know, that's another part. It's not just that there's this war and there's this fight for freedom. It's like there's this cultural side, which for me is just invaluable. And I want to be learning about it, studying it, participating in it. That requires learning more Ukrainian. It requires you know, singing with people all the time. I'm learning the fiddle now so I can participate like in that side of it as well, the violin. So yeah, there's, and all of those things, it was like harder to do obviously when I was in Ohio, but I know that I want to do them. So it became very obvious, you know, 
over the course of last year, like, I think I need to find a job here, but I didn't really know how to do it. I haven't had a normal job. Really, I've been a self-employed carpenter like my entire adult life. So it required um, a very different approach to life. But I did find a job at a... Uh, teaching English here. Yeah, teaching English right. at a French private school um, for Ukrainian kids. And, and I, I want to I wanna ask about what folk music is and why it matters. But maybe before that, let's hear a bit of this song you wrote while you were in exile yeah. as a war back in Ohio. You wrote this in Ohio. That's right. right. Mm -hmm. About Ukraine, life and war in Ukraine. Yeah? yeah, I was specifically really thinking about my little cluster of friends, many of whom are very active volunteers. And like there were a couple, I remember there were a couple video calls where they were in a dark room sitting around a generator attached to a Starlink. <laughs> and like, that's all they, I mean, if they didn't have the generator, they would have had no service. They would have had no phone battery and I wouldn't have been able to talk to them at all. And there were multiple days last winter where I, I couldn't, it's like, I will hear from you when I hear from you. Like, <laughs> which by the way, it's, I, I want to always remind anyone watching and paying attention to Ukraine like, this is a sign of success for Ukraine. Absolutely. Because one year ago, we were living in the Middle Ages. It was cold and terrible and dark, and uh, here we have power and electricity. It's 100% thanks to American Patriot missiles. Yeah. So thank <laughs> like, you to the USA. Thank you to the Ukrainian ingenuity. But, like, Russia wants to hide this news and obscure it from the world. Ukraine is triumphant already, and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a continual process. Mm -hmm. But last year, they thought they could freeze out Ukrainians. They're not even trying this year. The Russians yeah. aren't even hitting the infrastructure because they know it doesn't matter. Ukrainians will still keep going. Yeah, well, they shot, like, you know, a huge volley of rockets a couple times. In New Year's. You know, yeah. New Year's and then in, like, uh, mid-late-ish January. But most of them got, you know, knocked out of the sky. Yeah. So and we have power. And yeah. So, so here we are recording a podcast, not on a generator. <laughs> Important to note. So this is called Not Alone. I don't know if we'll do all of it. We'll do at least half of it. Set out to write you a song So you know you're not alone I know it feels so cold and bleak Where you are, where you are And then there's me, safe and warm Though my heart is still at war Ten thousand miles Across the sea From where you are From where you are I keep trying to put myself in your shoes To understand your pain 
All I wanna do is help you through So I'll sing this little song for now Take a rest, I see you holding the troubled world above your head, but it's not yours to fix or save by yourself, by yourself. Set out to write you a song I guess I'm feeling all alone And helpless too I wish I knew you're safe from harm Safe from harm I keep trying to put myself in your shoes To understand your pain All I wanna do is help you do So I'll sing this little song for now Nice man. Uh, this uh, it resonates too because <laughs> so often we feel you know sometimes it is easy for everyone here to feel a bit abandoned. Um, but knowing also, I mean, there's people around the world who do care and who are doing everything they can to help. Uh, whether it is by sending Patriot missiles or convincing Germany to send the weapons in all, all kinds of things around the world. Well, calling their senators. I mean, that's such a thing that every American could do, right? Yeah. Every normal American. And that's what's amazing about this war, unlike any other, people far away can help. Uh, I think about the uh, the first Korean War uh, in the 1800s. Um, th that was the first war there was photographs and telegraphs, and yeah. so people could read about it. Yeah. And did you know this song, um, one of the great classics of American music called Vastopol, named after the city of Sevastopol. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was written by a guy from Ohio. Do you know this? You've told me the story. Yeah, tell me again, though. It's, so, uh, it, many people think that this song became the foundation of modern rock music. I think the Rolling Stones and others credit this song hmm. for, for its the, the guitar picking and the rhythm of it. It was written by a guy, maybe it was from Athens. I don't know. I think it was Warren, Ohio, actually. Oh, Warren. Uh, Warren. Or <laughs> Warren. That's and not far, actually. Not so far, yeah. yeah. And um, so from this Appalachian tradition, and... Uh, he was reading newspaper accounts of the war in Crimea in, hmm. in like 18, wow. the 1850s. And, um, and he just, for some reason, you know, we can't interview him. He's gone. He never wrote about it. But he, he was inspired to write this song uh, called Vastopol. And actually, I play it on Chicago radio. 
Uh, every time Ukraine has a great success in Crimea, I start <laughs> off by playing the song because it's sort of a happy melody in a way, encouraging melody. Uh, the great famous American guitar picker, Elizabeth Cotton, yeah. she she plays this famously well. And I encourage people to look it up on YouTube. It's incredible uh, guitar playing. But uh, from Crimea, in a way, and, and Crimea was the first war where there was the people people could follow along from all around the world. Now, all the more so you can do it, you know, and, and you can actually contribute, as we've seen. I mean, people, not only people who send money for drones, but people who show up here to volunteer and to help. Uh, but, you know, we see that folk music, that's why I want to ask you, like, what, as someone who's a great practitioner of folk music, but not just in a theoretical way, but here in a fight for, you know, an existential fight, yeah. and you've studied Ukrainian folk traditions, what, what is folk music? Why does it matter? Why is it important? Why has it been important through the ages? Well, you know, I think music in general is this way for us to take our theoretical emotions and our souls, that our souls feel maybe, and put it out in space in a way that someone else can like interact with it. So that's all, I think all music is that. And then folk music is that, but it's something that you can inherit and has been and has a tradition behind it. So it's not just me sitting sitting here and noodling and like having the false experience of me like inventing a song because that's not really how it happens. But like the folk music is important all around the world because it's a it's a thing that connects you to your history. It take it's not a history book. It's like what are the souls of my ancestors? What did they feel? And it enables me to feel the same thing they felt. I mean, come on, why isn't that the coolest thing ever? <laughs> like it takes, it knocks out all the dates and like boring stuff of history and gives you all the like juice, right? It's like, oh yeah, this person also felt this like soul crushing love for this man or woman. Oh yeah, this person also experienced this like horrible drama that like affected their lives like it, it colors the people of history and without you know before we had recording machines how could you have ever known anything about history if it wasn't preserved in a story and what easier way to preserve a story than in song format right so that's why this matters it's like it connects you directly to the actual experiences of your ancestry Right. But also to anyone else around the world. But that's why the tradition matters. Why, um, you know, there's this resurgence in Ukrainian folk music right now, which was already building, 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 but nothing like once the full scale invasion happened. I mean, there's such an extraordinary resurgence in people who want to learn what we call what they call authentic music. Um, and this idea is you know, you want to find the oldest recording you can of some babusis singing this song in some little untouched village. And you sit around the recording and you like learn exactly how they sang it. And you transcribe the words because they're really sometimes hard to understand. Sometimes it's very dialectical and very not typical literary Ukrainian, you know. And this practice of Thanks to these recordings, you know, this weird little magnetic stuff on tape, we can like be transported back to this village where this these people we'll never get to talk to 
can at least share this little fragment of their soul, which they inherited from their grandmothers and so on. And it's like, I don't understand why it's not more popular because <laughs> I think it's just like the most magical thing that we could do to learn this. But, uh, you know, this is something that, and I know you've experienced this and you've actually helped carry on these traditions, but I've seen it very deeply with Ukrainian Christmas, which Ukrainians just finished celebrating. Here it is in February. Yeah. Um, it is a very deep celebration. Uh, I was just in Kharkiv with our friends. Uh, I can you can pronounce the name of their band better. Pirig Ibati, which is something like dumpling yeah. and whip. Uh, well, pirig is pie, like pirijok pie. is yeah, like yeah. A, a savory pie. Well, it can be sweet too. Um, but our friend Marian Pirijok has this incredible name, which means pie. And then <laughs> he, he they created this band. Ibatig, which means like the pie and the whip, like and the whipping cream or something. It's like the pie with the dressing. They're on great because they they make the traditional music. They bring it into modern modern times, and uh, hopefully we can have a, a session with them here. And they were going to Kharkiv in the east uh, a few weeks ago yeah. to, in January to bring the Christmas traditions of Lviv, mm -hmm. where the Soviets were not able to destroy things the way they could in the east, mm -hmm. where the Moscow couldn't destroy mm -hmm. things, and. It was so wonderful. We were there. Kharkiv had been so pummeled in the previous days. Yeah. Uh, and we were underground at this concert. And and these uh, Ukrainian carols of Christmas are very meditative. Uh, you, it's chant-like. Chant, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And this is what people actually sing, in the West especially, around the table. You're not watching football games or TV. Or, I know. You're actually living. It's a lived tradition. It's not something you observe in an old movie. It's incredible. Yeah. And, and that's, part, you know, I mean, you, you've been such a part of that with your music. And I saw that in Kharkiv. Uh, I was at the show of Paris Batik. Mm -hmm. And uh, there were soldiers and civilians, kids, grandparents, everyone, all the whole spectrum of society. And everyone in that room had been through horrible trauma in the preceding days. Yeah. And they're all just singing this song about the birth of Christ, Christos yeah. Rodevsa, yeah. and this chant. It was magical. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what? But So your experience of Ukrainian Christmas, like, to me, that's sort of the secret of the culture. It's all unlocked. It becomes revealed to me during that time. Yeah, well, the interesting thing is, you know, you, there was there was a time when there were ritual songs for every season, and this is just kind of the best preserved part because it was so important to Christianity, and it, like, blended conveniently, I think, with, like, the church's designs and desires. Um, but there are there's a deep history of like spring songs that are much more like just a village tradition. Um, and they're honestly very like primal and like, this kind of like, it's like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> is this, is this a song? Is this like a rich, like an actual ritual? <laughs> what's happening? Um, so that's a little bit of context is it's not just that Christmas has like its own songs, but because of this church thing, you know, that, the Orthodox Church obviously loves Christmas, just like every church loves Christmas. And the Greek Christmas. Catholics in Lviv. And the Greek yeah, Catholics yeah. in Lviv, good call. Um, so there was this, you know, incredibly deep tradition of carols, they call them. So um, Kolyadki and Shedrivki, there's like two different versions of Christmas carols, and they're actually defined by their different rhythmic structure. That's the only difference, but they're used on different days slightly. So there's it's like a deep thing. And then there's also Malanka songs, and Malanka is more of the actual um, 
it's the closest thing to the ritual date, right? And then these other things are more Christian. Um, but the but Milan- it's extraordinary. I mean, cause I, yeah. you know, we could be in the streets of Lviv, uh, December and January, yeah. and people just gather and they sing these together. Oh, like every night. Every night. <laughs> and it's like the same one. And it was so absurd because I was actually there recently right after New Year's. And... I got to see a very cool art exhibit um, from a very popular guy in the Lviv community who's passed now, but he made these um, icons on glass. His name was Ostap. I can't remember his last name right now. Um, but he is famous for having these big singing parties, these big carol parties in Lviv. And he really is like one of the reasons there is this super strong tradition um, because his party was so popular every year and everyone was like looking forward to it, learning new carols, like digging up new carols, you know. And so they had this big party to commemorate him. Um, and we were in this basement at um, Shevchen, Shevchenkivsky High. I can never say that. Good job. Um, I can never yeah. say that. <laughs> it's a beautiful park. Uh, <laughs> beautiful, amazing, historical park. They've moved all these different... We're on big holidays. People gather in the forest yeah, and it's, sing and it's drink It's like and forested, dance. but they have all these old like Carpathian houses and houses from around Ukraine. They've moved there to like show all the different architectural styles. And so that was where the um, exhibit was. And then in the basement of one of the buildings, which of course is like this beautiful stone basement, um, all the people in the know kind of like left the exhibit around the same time. And we went down in this uh, crypt (laughs) and we sang carols and we ultimately had like a wild kind of party. I had my violin and we... they brought down this like historical drum from the museum and we had this like dance party. But before that, we were singing these carols and it's like every time I sing carols with Ukrainians, I hear another one I've never heard before. It's like there's got to be like a thousand and it's insane. And not all Ukrainians know them either, you know, because it's such a deep thing, but you can learn them quite quickly because they are kind of these simple chants. Although usually they have, if, if you were counting them out, you'd be like, this is a very strange, you know, musical thing. Like, it, that's almost all Ukrainian music has something really interesting about it and yet is kind of repetitive enough that everyone can grab onto it and sing it together. But then we left that park, went to Fatset, of course, as you do. Fatset is a great cafe in, in Lviv. It's, on, it's on, the cafe. It's the cafe. <laughs> it, it is... Um, uh, I've described it on the radio, and people say it reminds you know that people listening in America think, oh, this is like Rick's Cafe in Casablanca, but it's deeper than that because it's the there's no bad. It's all the, you know, it it, it is the, the, I mean, you have the soldiers on leave, you have mm-hmm. people wounded in battle, you have the people preserving the folk traditions, mm-hmm. uh, the top volunteers. Mm-hmm. That's where people gather. Mm-hmm. This place, Fatset. Yeah, and it's, but it's at the same time it's like a hole in the wall, and sometimes it's totally empty, right? <laughs> yeah. But so we went there because we were all still vibing out, wanting to carol more. And there was like a whole other crew all in the same pal gang, and they were all singing. And so we like sang all the same carols again, right, as you do, but of course heard a few new ones. And then like there was another party after that. And it was just like, I mean, this is Lviv, right? It's like a wild, a wild time when it's, and it's when there's boring. something to celebrate. Even you repeat yeah. these. And I remember my first time at a Ukrainian Christmas dinner. As an American at first, I'm like, so strange, because you just repeat, you, every song is so long and you keep repeating the chorus mm-hmm. uh but then you get into the ritual rhythm of it and and you're and like especially the dark times that come afterward you look back on these moments these are like re- wells of energy yeah and strength 
And I remember in particular, I think it was last summer, it was a day of music, International mm-hmm. Day of Music, mm-hmm. and Lviv really takes that seriously. Oh, yeah. And we were Thanks out- to Marichka, yeah. Yeah, and we were at Marichka, the great Chichkova, yeah, she organizes in, in that. Lviv, great. Mm-hmm. And um, we were outside of Fatset, and I think the day before, there had been major Russian missile strike on Lviv. It was mm-hmm. pretty unusual. So everyone was a bit shaken. And I have a video of this, which I go back to in some of the dark times to watch. You guys, you and Brett mm-hmm. and, and some Ukrainian musicians were singing one of my favorite folk songs about on the banks of the Danube. Not Ohio. Ohio. <laughs> right. In the grove. Oyuhayu. Oyuhayu. Shushkinsky Hai. Yeah, yeah, exactly. In the forest. And and it was uh it was this amazing meditation. Every it was a beautiful sunny afternoon after the horrible preceding day. And everyone is singing together. Yeah. Uh this song and I had uh I've been on the Danube in Budapest and other places but a few months ago, I went down to Bessarabia uh, uh, in this part of Ukraine that borders Romania and Moldova uh, on the Danube River. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is where that amazing effort to ex- export grain is happening despite mm-hmm. the Russian threats. And I'm sitting there on the banks of the Danube, and they, we, they just, we'd just been attacked by drones the night before uh, at the port there. And I just had this nice moment on the Danube, and I played that recording mm. from you guys singing the preceding summer in Lviv. Uh, it would be great to hear that. It's one of my favorite songs. Absolutely, yeah. And it's about, what is it about? Can you tell, it's just about being on the, it's an old ancient folk song about. Yeah, I, you know, I don't have a good sense of like how old this folk song is. It was, it was certainly in existence and it was popular, popularized by Trio Marenich. Um, and I think their record came out in the early 70s and they were a trio, I think two guitarists and a lady singer. And they sing this very, it was very of the time of like, um, I don't know, this kind of chill folk song with like very haunting female vocals and like lots of finger picky, like kind of sounds of silence a little bit, you know, Simon and Garfunkel, but obviously with female vocal. But um, so it was very of the time. Um, But I don't, I still haven't quite understood like, I mean, I don't think it's like an old, old, old folk song, but anyway, I, I wish I and, knew and more as, about as it. As you listen to it, and I think like, I'm listening to it on the banks of the Danube, and I look across the river, I can see Romania. I can see a land that simply because it's across the river is not at war. There are There is debris sometimes that falls when Russia sends missiles and, and drones, right. but I could see just across that water, not that far. Yeah, that's what peace looks like. I can see what peace looks like. <laughs> and... <laughs> What it could be when it returns here, and it's kind of like the, the the far opposite of looking across and seeing the Russians across from Nikopol. It's yeah. a fascinating yeah. spectrum of experience yeah. you've had there. So that earlier song we heard, "Which Side Are You On," mm-hmm. was about division. This song, for me at least, in that moment, was about the hope for the future. Yeah, and this song is super unifying. I mean, this is a song that every Ukrainian almost has in their genetic code it seems like like even if they don't know they know it they're like oh yeah like it's one of these songs like my grandpa used to play on the radio or something like it's just in there so so let's hear it's predunayu it's uh oyuhayu predunayu in the forest grove near the banks of the danube river that's right and it's yeah you asked what it means the the person who is singing it uh it's probably the perspective of a woman she's missing her lover he was a musician, but he's gone. We don't know why. Um, but she's 
walking through the forest and hearing sort of like ghostly memories of him and his friends playing music together, <laughs> like in this forest, yeah. Jacqueline, man. Thank you. That was a wonderful song. And uh, and you think, you know, as what music can do, as you say, it can heal, uh, but also inspire people, uh, give us strength to whatever we might face. We don't know when the next missiles will be hitting or what bad news we might be receiving next. No doubt. Um, and I think about sitting there at that cafe in Lviv, Fatset, uh, when you were singing that song last summer outside, I could look at different seats outside were people who used to sit who has now been killed yeah uh including uh many heroes of Medan who went to fight 
Uh, and I could, I could always see them in the seats where they used to sit um, and, and listening to all those voices singing. And th this is, through these songs, you know, the, it's, it is, it is, it's a story of people who, you know, won't be slaves, right? Uh, the story of people who refuse to, to be silenced. Uh, this is, uh, and, and the, but the music is both the, the indicator of that, but also it, it, it's the engine of it, right? It helps inspire. Yeah. Uh, what was it like, uh, for you at Christmas time when you went to play for the soldiers at the mm -hmm. front? What, what, what was your, what was your feeling there? Um, it was difficult. It was maybe the most emotionally challenging time I've gone. This was the fourth trip I've gone. Um, I went with a with an impromptu band, uh, which was very cool. We put together a little four-piece, kind of a five-piece, because our driver also sometimes did percussion with us. Um, uh, but a little group, two, three of the musicians were Ukrainians. So we had Lesik Yakumchuk. He's the... Um, one of the two co, one of the two founders of UA First Aid, and this is the organization that Brett and I were bringing a lot of tourniquets and IFACs for. Um, and they, you know, it, you know, Lesik and his girlfriend uh, Olena, two very dear friends of mine, uh, they were in Ohio. They were at Ohio University studying when the full-scale invasion broke out and within a week they had packed their suitcases full of medical supplies <laughs> leaving all of their clothes and moved back to ukraine which if you don't realize this it means less it came back even when he as a man he like once you come back in the country as a man you can't leave <laughs> so this is a big decision for both of them um and so they came back and were volunteering, doing what they could. And by the summer, UA First Aid had just kind of come into existence. Just simply, there was just one random time, you know, a soldier was like, we need IFX, we need IFX, we've got no medical gear. And Lessig successfully got some money together on Facebook and got these IFX, got them to the guys. And then the calls just kept coming. That people heard that he could get the stuff, and it just kept coming and coming and coming. And so they just like had to create this organization. Um, and they're both people, bless their souls, and they just can't say no when people are in need, right? And so they've raised over a million dollars worth of medical gear um, since the start of the war. And Brett and I contributed ten percent of that. And you know. What we did was big, but it's insane what they've been able to do. And you could read about them. Uh, New York Times did an article on them um, back in this past summer, UA First Aid. So um, that's who I go to the front with is Lessig. He's also a great uh, musician. Uh, he even played at Maidan when he was a young man. In the revolution <laughs> in 2014. During, yeah, yeah, like they had this thing where they would have a stage all night because they couldn't leave. Like you had to keep Maidan full of people, right? You couldn't all leave or the cops would come take it back over. So they would have musicians through the brutal winter. They'd play all night. He was playing a guitar out on stage in the winter at like four in the morning. His set was like at four in the morning. <laughs> and so he has like been through this stuff, right? And that's important to remember. It's yeah. 10 years ago, right now, 10 years ago. It's, and, yeah. you know, right now we have so many Americans who praise protest movements in Germany and France, the farmers protest and yeah. all that. And okay. And they're missing the story of what happened mm -hmm. 10 years ago. And that's mm -hmm. the very reason why this war is happening now, because Ukrainians 10 years ago, 
stored in those squares. And I didn't know this about the music, how the music kept them going. Yeah. Uh, but th that's when they said, we're, we're not going to be controlled by corrupt tyrants. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and the artist played a big role in that. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, I mean, some of the connections he had from Maidan is really how the UA first aid got started too, because people who were big activists in Maidan, many of them joined the, the army as soon as the full-scale invasion happened or before. Um, and those connections are like the people who was who were calling him for the IFACs, right? And that's the unit we Brett and I went to play for in the 93rd, two Octobers ago. That connection was like his big, his friend, you know, from Maidan that like got us there. So it's all interconnected, right? Um, but sorry, what was your original question? Well, I don't know, but I, I really <laughs> asked this one because I want to, like, have you had a person, I mean, you know, in, in war, as I think we've seen, I mean, it makes things very clear. Which side are you on and all that? And have you had any personal transformation here or is there... Well, in Ukraine, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, when I first came to Ukraine, it was four days after my um, ex-wife and I had decided to break up, like, in um, 2020. And I, and we had been together for, like, m pretty much my entire adult life. So it's like, you know, I've had these big different phases in my life. It's like after college, I was really with her and we were doing this like farm thing this like shire <laughs> big time shire life um which is totally a, a cool way to go and like we you know all the respect in that relationship it just didn't work out and it's fine but like it was just an interesting it's almost to the day that we were like ending that in an official way and then january 6th Brett and I get in my Prius with our friend Quentin and drive to New York from Ohio to park the Prius in some freaking neighborhood, you know, <clears throat> that this was all lined up um, by our Belarusian friends um, back in Slavolacha days. And we go catch like seven different flights to like hop across Europe and get um, first to Minsk and then uh, ultimately to Lviv and then Karpaty. And um, you know, that transfer, that first trip of Slavolacha was super transformational for me. I mean, that's when I first learned, when we first learned Oyuhayu Pridunai, it's when the f I first heard Ukrainian music. It's when I first met Ukrainians in person. It's when we saw the Carpathian Mountains for the first time. It's when we saw Lviv for the first time. And I mean, I wish I could see Lviv for the first time again. <laughs> like, I've been thinking about that the last few times I've gone. It's like, this is too normal now. Like, why I take this way to like this is the most beautiful city in the world, and it's like normal and it's strange because I remember the first time I showed up, I was just ogling everything. Like every building is gorgeous, right? Um, and the first time I had Ukrainian food, first time, first all these firsts, right? And we went to Karpaty. Um, with to the our, mountains. With the, yeah. the Carpathian yeah. Mountains, they call it Karpaty here. And we went to a little village called Tustan, and we had rented like a little cabin to jam in for like two days with our new band, this musical project. And I had this, uh, I was obviously having this intense emotional experience because I'm like in the middle of like breaking up with my wife. Um, and I... We're having all these great musical experiences, but I'm kind of overwhelmed at one moment. And we're outside. We've got a couple bonfires going. We're hanging out, getting to know each other, right? 
and I walk off. We're on the River Stri, and it's a super clear night. Also, strange side note, this was the first night I ever saw Starlink satellites, which was super creepy. I remember that night. They were launching. <laughs> I was, I was. They were like, imagine that you don't know what's happening in the world, <laughs> and you look up, and you're having a like, come to God moment. And there, you see 60 stars flying in a perfect straight line in perfect speed with each other across the night sky, and they look like stars. And I mean, I was t- I was honestly terrified. I was like, what is happening? This is June 2021, <laughs> right? I, I was in uh, Yavariv on a camping trip. Yeah. Yavariv later became famous because of the, fam- the military training base yeah, there yeah. that was horribly bombed. Mm-hmm. And I was there, and there were so many monuments there to World War II. Yeah. And I'd been there all day while we were hiking, thinking, this is where the Nazis were. Yeah. And World War II and, yeah. and all the, and like, I can't imagine war ever coming here. Right. And then that night, I saw those, we didn't know what it was at first. The yeah, six, yeah. 60 Starlinks with the satellites being launched. Musk's so little. So were, you were in the Carpathians. I was in the Carpathians. <laughs> we weren't that far from each other. <laughs> um, but regardless of that, I, I was, I walked off to along this river and it was super clear beautiful night and i was just kind of having a moment alone and it was the moment it was the night i like that moment was i just feel like i accepted all these things about like the next phase of my life like okay music i'm going to do music okay like uh mandolin i'm gonna learn mandolin okay ukraine i'm gonna keep coming back to ukraine (laughs) like all these things just felt so right and my life was suddenly like opened up in this way that it obviously had not been. And I just kind of felt like, I mean, you know, they had flown me and Brett across the world to like make music with them. And, you know, that's an incredible feeling, obviously, like when someone, that's very validating, like, okay, someone wants to hear my music over there. Like this powerful feeling, right? So all these things kind of came together and this was, you know, that was really like the first major step that lands me here, right? Um, I mean, I to go back to your original question, have I been changed dramatically since the war? I think it might be hard for me to tell. I mean, I feel like I feel very much like in my element and like that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing here, which is an amazing feeling, right? And I think it kind of shelters me from some of the fear and some of the like anxiety that other people might feel because it just, I don't know, like you referenced our initial interview from when I came back from Bakhmut, the realest thing I ever did, right? I was thinking about that today, like getting ready for this interview, getting ready to come here and thinking about like, you know, history has been happening for all time. And the vast majority of people just read about it in books. But like when you have the opportunity to go experience it and you don't take it, I mean, you can do whatever you want, but I'm going to take the opportunity. Like that just felt so absolutely correct for me. It's like, I don't know if my guitar has something to offer someone (laughs) in a place where they are fighting for their freedom. It's just like, it's just a no brainer. Like, I don't know. It doesn't, the calculation is not important really for me. It would have been if I was married. Right. But like, I I don't have this like consideration of a family in the same way, you know? So, and this, I think is a, 
a good setup for uh we can close with this with the, this song that you wrote mighty big war because it is it's big and it has a huge implications many people in the, in the world don't realize perhaps the implications yet many do um but also it happens in a micro level that's right it's a, it's an individual people that make choices like lessic to come back here the people that, that choose to go to the front and fight um the people that choose not to get tired and choose not to give up uh but it's a, all of this together is a mighty big war it's a mighty big effort and this is a song of yours that is on an album i think that you're releasing very very fourth soon fourth one yeah <laughs> yeah uh, um, three the album is called three gardens three gardens um this is an album a collaborative album um that I and Brett Hill, Brother Hill, and Serjuk Dohusha. Uh, we recorded this in April 2022. Yeah, so like two months after the war started. Not even two months after the war started. Um, and this was an effort to process the big feelings we were having. And uh, Brett and Serjuk and I were all part of this Slavolacha project. We were all the non-Ukrainians in the Slavolacha project. And our Ukrainian counterparts were busy making Molotov cocktails in Ukraine. <laughs> and we were in America like, ah, what do we do? Like, what do we do? <laughs> and we were, music was a part of our process, right? And so we had this kind of realization, like, we should record this. This is a really important, special moment in time for us and for the world. And maybe this music will resonate with other people. So... It's a combination of American, Ukrainian, and Belarusian folk songs. Um, it's all coming from a place of love and support for Ukraine. We call it a love letter to Ukraine. Um, and some of our, I mean, really, this is like the material that we used to fundraise with in a big way for all those big From Ohio with Love concerts. So it's also kind of a record of that. And the final song on the album is called Mighty Big War. It's a song I adapted it is originally a Woody Guthrie song. And for those of you who don't know, um, one of Bob Dylan's biggest inspirations, Woody Guthrie was an American folk singer who wrote his first song. This was his first song that he ever wrote and produced uh, about the Dust Bowl, an environmental disaster that displaced something like four or five million people in Oklahoma, Texas, um, and a little bit in Colorado. And this was an environmental disaster caused by over-farming, um, over-plowing of land that has not enough moisture. And he was a very young man when the Dust Bowl happened, and he was suddenly plunged into a time of absolute chaos, um, similar to you know when the full-scale invasion happened here. And all of this homelessness and refuge, it was a, it was a refugee crisis. Something like, I shouldn't say an actual number, but I think it is like 12% of Californian DNA connects is connected to Oklahoman DNA because of this episode. Like so many people left Oklahoma for California because of the Dust Bowl. Um, and so, and this song originally was called Dusty Old Dust, and it was about this, everyone having to leave their home um, because we had, like, the land was ruined the farms were all gone. It was just a desert now, right? And then, um, you know, about 10 years later, World War II breaks out and Woody goes to fight in World War II. And he rewrotes, he rewrites his song, Dusty Old Dust, to be about going to fight the Nazis. Um, 
And he, then he called the song So Long It's Been Good to Know Ya. Right. So um, the chorus is So Long It's Been Good to Know Ya three times. And then it's a mighty big war that's got to be won. Then we'll get back together again. Right. So he, he those are his words. These are Woody's words. Um, and in March of right after the invasion started, I was just looking for ways to process and write about about the war. And I f stumbled on this rewrite. I never knew he rewrote it about World War II. I was kind of digging through some of his not very popular albums, um, not very well known. And I found this rewrite. I was like, what? Because I already sang Dusty Old Dust. I love that song. And it... Uh, it really resonated with me. Obviously, the war had started. So I was like, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. So then I rewrote um, most of the verses. Some of them are actually almost the same. For example, the lover's um, verse, which you'll hear, that's close to the original. So this is Mighty Big War, uh, your version from the album Three Gardens. That's right. Which, by the way, our great friend Mikhailo Scope, Ukrainian artist Nevon made, who made the logo for this podcast, awesome. Land of the Free, also made your album uh, artwork and, uh, for this. Yeah, he's made a lot of amazing art for various projects. A for great me over patriot the years. helping yep. Ukraine any way he can. Yep. And uh, so this is from uh, Three Gardens, Mighty Big War, Benya Stewart, son of Ohio, living here in Kiev in a time of war until victory. Дякую, Йосип. It happened the winter I hunkered in Maine That a modern day Hitler invaded Ukraine Well, his people believed every word of his lies What an awful strange world us humans devise Singing so long It's been good to know you so long it's been good to know you well so long It's been good to know you It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won Then we'll get back together again Well the shelling began in the dark before dawn The whole world was speechless after peace for so long Harky and Kherson and Kyiv they come Well the sirens were wailing as the rockets were flung Singing so long It's been good to know you so long It's been good to know you well so long It's been good to know you It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won then we'll get back together again Now out of Crimea them tanks would have rolled Save for the bravery of Vitaly's good soul Well he climbed down the bridge with the tanks overhead Yeah he gave up his life to see everyone dead Singing so long It's been good to know you so long it's been good to know you well so long It's been good to know you It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won Then we'll get back together again Well the telephone rang and it jumped off the wall President Biden making his call Zelensky said, thanks, but we don't need that right. Now we 
sure take some NATO boys up in the sky Singing so long, it's been good to know you so long It's been good to know you well so long It's been good to know you It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won Then we'll get back together again well, lovers, they sat in the dark and they sparked and they hugged and they kissed in the dusty old dark and then back to the mixin' of the Molotov piss. Yeah, instead of marriage, they talk like this, singing so long. It's been good to know you so long. It's been good to know you well so long. It's been good to know you. It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won Then we'll get back together again Lord, spare me the strength to sing of the whole The smoldering wreckage of Mariupol They couldn't be bothered to aim a bit wide of even a theater with children inside singing so long it's been good to know you so long it's been good to know you well so long it's been good to know you it's a mighty big war that's gotta be won then we'll get back together again Well, the whole world can see that Putin's a fool. He fuckered around and he found out the rule. They're not going back to their Soviet chains. No, they'll fight to the death for a sovereign Ukraine singing so long. It's been good to know you so long. It's been good to know you well so long. It's been good to know you. It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won. Well, Slava, Slava Ukraini, Slava, Slava Ukraini, Slava, Slava Ukraini. It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won. Well, Slava, Slava Ukraini, Slava. Slava Ukraini, well, Slava, Slava Ukraini. It's a mighty big war that's gotta be won. Then we'll get back together again. Benny Stewart, do you, my friend? Thank you, Wonderful. Uh, we'll have links to your music in the description below. Uh, Benny Stewart from Ohio, here in Kiev. In the land of freedom. On our Land of the Free podcast. Land of the Free. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you to Ukrainska Pravda. You can follow our stories at ukrainianfreedomnews.com. Every single day I'm reporting on Chicago's WGN Radio. Until victory.
every single day you're playing here. Until victory, thank you from Kiev.